Hi, this is Gary Owen from the Going YouTube channel. You're listening to the Quick Pit Podcast. Welcome back to the Quick Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, joined by Connor. Connor is back this week. Of course, thank you so much to ZenZenC for coming on the last two weeks and covering for Connor. He did a great job. As, as always, make sure to go over and check out his YouTube channel. His videos are phenomenal. The editing is great. The audio is great. Just released a new one over the past week talking about what if Dale Jr. never left DEI, and it's a really fascinating video. He makes a lot of great points, so highly advise you go check it out. He does lots of NASCAR Heat 5 stuff and modding stuff and such. He was featured on a Michael Rooks video, which is pretty cool, so definitely go check him out. We'll have all his links down in the description. Yes, and we all know what makes Rick's YouTuber is audio and good editing, and he's fantastic at both of those, so make sure you go check him out. It's worth your time. And it's worth a uh, subscription. So go subscribe to him on YouTube. Follow him on Twitter. Um, he's great. Yes. Yeah, so, um, Connor, how was your vacation? It was good. And, uh, well, got back. And I think we had the best race of the year this past week weekend. I mean, what a race. It, it was – I was at work, but I was following it on my phone. And I meant, like, I think this is the race of the year. And uh, I think people can agree with me on that one. I think, well, it, it's very, it's polarizing because there's like the purest, the purists who want it to be like F1. And then there's the people who hate it when there's not a crash. And so I like to think that I'm in the middle of those two groups, but maybe I'm not where I think this race was great for two different reasons, because the first 70 laps were amazing, pure racing with not many cautions, not many incidents, just hard racing, back and forth battles, different leaders, and just good road course racing. And then the last 10 laps, although aided by some track problems, were classic NASCAR with, with drama and damage and, and beating and banging and, and guys spinning out and going all over the place. That last 10 laps were a classic road course or NASCAR and a road course finish. So I think you got the best of both worlds there. Yeah, and I was I was coming back home from vacation on Saturday, and I was listening to, to last week's podcast, and you you mentioned that with all the road courses on the schedule, we think that drivers can get more used to road road courses, and it's not going to be as you know, beat and banging. The drivers aren't going to be really knowing; they're going to start knowing what to do. But the last ten laps looked like all those drivers had no idea what they were doing, and they were just rubbing all against each other. Even though there was some track problems, there was, you know, you saw Bubba just not want to go into that turn and just like went in the grass. Like you saw the drivers, they were, they looked like they didn't know what they were doing on that turn. So um, it was pretty fun to watch those last 10 laps. But before we get into all the crashes, mayhem, the curb issue and all that stuff, let's go over the top 10. So I'll start us off um, coming on 10th. If, if it will load here as it's, as it's lagging here. Coming home 10th is Ryan Newman in the sixth car. Um, we know Brad Kislas is going to be that sixth car next year, but a fantastic run for Ryan Newman has pretty much been non-existent this year. He's really struggled. 
A lot of people say he's going to retire, but there's been no word official on that. But a good solid top 10 for Ryan Newman. Um, so, Connor, I, I know you didn't watch the race, and you wouldn't have seen this watching the highlights or following along. But Ryan Newman got damaged early and was running way off the pace. He was like 38th until, until um, the debris caution was 10 to go that set up, set up all the chaos. He was nowhere to be found, and somehow he avoids all the carnage and like literally face plants into a top 10 here. I, I don't know how he did it, but he managed a top 10. Kudos to him, and it's a much-needed uh, good finish for that team. I won't call it a good run, but it's certainly a good finish. Yes. And in ninth place, we have Austin Sindrick, who won the Xfinity Series race on Saturday. Um, he also was not up there for most of the race and managed a very solid finish. I believe it's – no, I think he got like a top five or another top ten at Coda. No, it's his first top ten in the Cup Series. And so good job for him. He, he's looking – He's starting to grow on me. He's looking very promising and very talented, and I'm starting to like the guy. Yeah, and I think he's got some big uh, shoes to fill for Brad Kozlowski next year. And Sens mentioned this last week, um, but Penske's future, like there's not really any, you know, you'll have, you have Ryan Blaney, who's should have more wins in the equipment, and you have Joey Logano, who's been Joey Logano, but I think Sens mentioned that he's been, more disappointing as he's been dominant. And I think that's really, that's a really good statement. And um, Austin Cedric, I think will do really well in the uh, main Penske equipment next year, but coming home eighth, the 77 car, Justin Haley, fantastic run. Uh, did run in the Xfinity series the day before. So I had a little bit more, had some experience, but um, this, he outran that equipment, even though it's road course, but um, great run for Justin Haley in that 77 group. Connor, I think, Let's be honest, Justin Haley probably wouldn't have finished there if it weren't for those crashes, but he there is certainly a skill to avoiding two massive wrecks. So kudos to him, a very strong run. And another guy coming up in seventh, who also had a very strong finish. I'm not going to call these strong runs. They're strong finishes because these guys before before that debris caution that set up the chaos were nowhere, were not in the top ten. They were never ran in the top ten. But Eric Jones, a very good finish. His fourth top 10 of the year, I believe. Um, he finished the seventh in that 43 cards, his third top 10. And, uh, yeah, he's he's been performing about as well as you can expect for the equipment. And so it's, it's a good finish for that team. Yeah, and as you say, it does take skill to avoid these big crashes as uh, your favorite driver, Michael McDowell, did in the Daytona 500, which ended up, again, which ended up playing him get the win in that race, but it does take, does take some skill to avoid these wrecks. And um, there were a lot of wrecks to avoid. So uh, props to these guys, but kind of on six in the one car, Kurt Busch, uh, another good run. I feel like he's been coming on strong as late as I guess I could say good finish because um, can't really say good run, but uh, Kurt Busch has been really strong as of late, had that one a couple weeks ago. But uh, I think if he keeps getting these uh, top tens, um, he'll carry this momentum into the playoffs and could could be a sneaky pick for could advance to the round of 12 and round of eight. Yes, and coming in fifth is Matt Benedetto. Another very good run for him. He's been running very well since they switched crew chiefs on that 21 car, and he was up there competing for the win. Didn't have quite the speed or the restarts to get up there, but for a moment there, it looked like he might pull off 
a crazy win. Unfortunately, um, well, fortunately, I guess I think we had an even crazier winner. Um, but another very solid run for him. And with the number of road courses on the schedule, that's a very important top five finish for him in terms of his future. And so uh, we shall see how that benefits him, but definitely a good run for Matty D. Yes, coming in fourth is Ethan's pick, Chase Elliott. Sally did not get a win, and that means Ethan still does not have a win yet this year, which I just think is shocking. Um, but my pick was Chase Briscoe. Um, I posted that on Twitter before the race, but I thought Chase Briscoe was so close to going to win, but had whatever. We'll talk about that after he gets to the top 10. But Chase Sally comes in fourth, really didn't have winning speed. Felt like he felt like he was always fourth, like fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth, that area. I feel like he was, he was- never up. He was playing second fiddle to Larson all day. He was yeah, feel, right behind Larson. Yeah, he was never like that top car, and um, he would have had something to happen to that five car for him to take for him to steal that win. But it's all a top five day for that nine nine team. Yes, and in third place, Kyle Larson, who we all thought was going to win. I honestly was getting a little bored right before that. Um, the 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 precaution that made made it chaotic i mean it was just a normal road course race nothing bad and it was definitely better than the oval i think but um he was just running away with it in kyle larson fashion um but everything got shaken up and it's honestly pretty surprising how he managed to get all the way back up because of all the chaos that he had to fight back through so for all intents and purposes it looks like it looks disappointing but i i find the 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 fact that he managed to get all the way back up to third very very impressive for for that five team yeah does kyle larson lose anything these days i feel like he's always winning he wins and when he didn't win this uh this week but he wins so much in the cup series and he won it uh the knoxville nationals i believe yeah the knoxville nationals um he, he just keeps winning and i i don't know how he does he wins in everything he races it's crazy i i i, I agree with you he has he is, I think, the most talented driver the sport has seen since Tony Stewart. I, I really think he is. And um, he's going to go on to do some great things. The fact that he can win in just about any car you give him. Um, and honestly, seeing how Ganassi has run the last couple of years without him, I think that just uh, amplifies how impressive his six wins with Ganassi in those five years were because – I don't know. I mean, besides Kurt's annual win, they don't they have they don't have race winning speed, and he gave them race winning speed. And so, I would love to see Larson in an Indy car. I'd love to see him in Formula One and in an endurance car, and put him in anything. Put him in an airplane and a boat, and see how he does. I'm sure he'd go out and win anything with a motor. I want to see him in, and it shall be a treat. Although we'll probably get sick of him winning to watch him race for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, at least he's in a Hendrick Motorsports equipment car, so I don't have to. It won't be. I won't hate him as much as I hate him. He was Kyle. in a Ford. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But coming up second in the 12 car, which he is in a Ford, Ryan Blaney for Penske. Um, he, I, I don't think he was there all day until the very end. And um, he, he kind of showed up at the end, got a second place finish. Hopefully he kind of starts getting some momentum. Well, hopefully not for me because I – Less less people Bowman faces, the better chance he has at uh, going farther into the playoffs. But he really needs some momentum going into the playoffs. Has been kind of slow as of late, and maybe can pick it up with his 
really strong top two finish. Yes. And coming in first place, the first part-time winner, um, part-time, well, first part-time winner on a non-super speedway since Brian Vickers in 2013, first part-time winner overall since uh, Justin Haley at Daytona in 2019, AJ Allmendinger wins in just the seventh race for college racing in the cup series. And man, they definitely lucked into it a little bit, but it is so cool to see it happen. So, I mean, how can you not like the guy? It, I was, it was, I was, it, it was awesome. The, the post-race speech, like he was so happy. The first one for colleague in the cup series and only seven races and man, colleague's future is really bright. And, and they could, they could go on a tear next year and I wouldn't be surprised. They could win. They could have the drivers win two or three races and I wouldn't be totally shocked. I, I mean, like, it's, it's, it was so fun to watch. He really wasn't there all day, but as you say, it takes good to avoid the crashes. And he went, he had the, he was in the right place at the right time. And all that matters is you finish first. And he did that. And it was unbelievable. Yeah. And, I think that that's a dedicated organization with a lot of people who want to win. They've got lots of funding, whether out of colleagues pocket, Matt, Matt colleagues pocket or, or um, their sponsors that they have. And, you know, I think I agree with you, Connor, they are going to be a force to be working with over the next couple of decades. They want to win. There's no Rick Ware, Starcom, Spire. We're going to build up. There's none of that. They're going in. They're diving off the deep end, and I think they can swim. And, and and I think this is going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that team. How many wins do you think Chevy has next year with Colleague, Trackhouse, RCR, and Hendrick? Uh, well, I predicted that they'd get half this year, and I think they are at. I predicted they get eighteen, and they are at. Hold on, let me count here. Larson has five. Baron Thirteen has one. wins. Thirteen. 13 wins. Ford 13. has five and Toyota has six. 13, 13 wins. 13 wins with 12 races to go. So they, they've got an uphill battle, but like Chevy is easily the, the fastest, the best manufacturer in terms of wins so far this year. And so I think they can do it again next year because if you look at it, it's, it's really, you know, Hendrick's going to get like 10 wins, right? And yep. so it's, it's really just dependent on what the other teams are doing. I think Hendrick's sitting at 11 right now. So it, it really depends on what RCR and Trackhouse and, and Colleague and whoever else might manage to sneak a win, RPM, Inspire, what they're able to do next year. So, but um, I did have a thought today. So way back before the Roush or Brad to Roush, before the Trackhouse buying Ganassi, Colleague at what we thought was like a huge move for the silly season, but at this point it's been dwarfed. Uh, and there's another uh, silly season rumbling that's coming through, which is pretty, pretty wild. Um, that might have some legs to it. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Um, but like they bought two charters from Spire and that of course set the ball in into motion for Trackhouse to go out and have to buy charters and eventually buy Ganassi. But I think the they've got two charters they've announced that Justin Haley will drive full-time in one of them I'm assuming the 16 car and that AJ Allmendinger would run part-time like he's doing this year in 
the other car and then they fill it in kind of like what Spire is doing this year with Haley, where Haley's running most of the races, but they put in different guys for specialty tracks. So I did have a thought and this could have major silly season implications, but if Almondinger decides that going cup racing is fun, because that's what he's been talking about the last couple of years is that he doesn't want to race unless it's fun. That's why I did part-time Xfinity and why he's just doing Xfinity and then part-time cup this year. I think I would not be surprised if Almondinger goes cup racing full-time next year. And that would open up a, a world of possibilities in the Xfinity series, because then you'd have two colleague seats open. You'd have a whole bunch of other stuff. I, I'd be really interested to see that happen. Yeah, I quickly just want to mention here, since you're talking about the, you know, what could happen with Xfinity, we had a little bit of news today. It's just me quick because we want to stick to the Indy Road Course race happened this past weekend. But Josh Berry going full time racing for Junior Motorsports next year in the Xfinity Series. Just want to quickly throw that in there because that was a piece that came out today that um, we should tell you guys. But yeah, and that, that, that there could be, if that happens, Xfinity, the Xfinity world could go absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I think. You know, it, it, initially you're used to the cup limit at four per team, four cars per team, but uh, Xfinity has no such rules. If Junior wants to run seven full-time cars next year, he could. And so we're all acting, a bunch of people I saw when this news broke were acting like, oh, someone has to get kicked out. I wouldn't be surprised if nobody gets kicked out. And you have a lineup of Allgaier, Annette, Gregson, Barry, and, and Meyer. Although I would say... Annette or Gregson would be the most likely to get the boot at this point. And that's nothing against Gregson. I just think, I don't know. He's, he's I, in. I think Gregson's a young talent, but. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's in his third year. He's shown a lot of flashes. Someone might take a flyer on him and cup. I, I just don't know. Yep. Well, with that being said, I want to quickly go over to the Chase Briscoe incident that happened with Denny Hamlin that kind of... Chase Briscoe has won me a ton of respect. I don't care what he says. I think he might have dumped him, and I... Do you see the stuff with, with Tony Stewart? How yeah, Tony, like... Stewart was, Tony Stewart was hugging him after, so he was like, I'm proud of you. And I, <laughs> if he dumped Hamlin on purpose, I wouldn't mind at all, and I would love it because it means Denny Hamlin doesn't win yet which I just think is hilarious. But I was watching the uh, inboard camera with the audio um, on that last lap. And, uh, of course, he, like, overshot turn one, I think it was, cut through the grass. And Nash couldn't see anything right away. So he thought he was still racing. So he was still racing for position. And as soon as he was, like, bumper to bumper with Hamlin, uh, their spotter or crew chief came over and said, all right, NASCAR is making you do a stop and go and turn 10. And Chase Briscoe said, where's turn 10 because as a NASCAR driver, you're not really folk. You're not really counting what turns you've already done. So he's probably doesn't know where it is. He doesn't know if it's next turn or in three turns or what, but he at that point is just saying, where is that? And he, I mean, barely touched Denny Hamlin's right rear bumper. And I mean, he, Hamlin just spun out, but like I was watching the board and he barely touched him. I'm shocked that Hamlin spun out the way he did. Like I know a little touch can do a lot, but, he really, really didn't hit him much. And he didn't really, he didn't really hit the far corner where he could send him. He hit more, you know, right rear, right the middle of the bumper, but a little bit to the right. So I was kind of surprised that it sent him the way it did. 
Yeah, and you know, I don't care what they say about it. The optics of watching it live were just amazing because Hamlin runs Briscoe off the course. They announce that Briscoe has a penalty. As soon as they announce that Briscoe has a penalty, Briscoe is dumping Hamlin into the grass. And so that was just, that was amazing. It was one of the moments of the year, I think, for me, which is a shame because just last week, Zems and I were talking about our favorite moments from this, this year. Um, but this definitely goes on the list and I'm sure Almondinger needs to get like a watch or something for Briscoe for that because he handed him the win. And let's not forget, um, so you're saying they've said that Briscoe knew by the time he locked up into, into nine, I think it is. Is that what it is? I can't remember. I thought I was coming off the front stretch. No, it was going into the little – it was going back off the oval track into the little thing by Pit Road. So, okay, where, Oh, yeah, 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 wherever it is. Yep. But so, I, I, if he dumped him, that's great because you can't – I don't know why NASCAR gave Frisco a penalty. He got forced off. What are you supposed to do? He didn't yeah. – like, he didn't re-enter the right way? Well, sorry, not my fault. Maybe – if he wins a race, that's fine because Hamlin put him in that position. So I, I don't really, I really don't know why NASCAR forced him, and then dumped him. That's great because you can't force each other on, like, don't force each other off the racetrack. And we saw that. Well, we kind of saw that with Xfinity, but they didn't know that curbing was there. But I mean, if you get forced off the racetrack, that's not really your fault. Yeah, that's the thing, though. I think in Briscoe's case, if he hadn't messed up that corner there a couple turns later, I think he would have raced to the end. And then if, then you hope that you can argue the penalty back basically, right? Like yeah. you go and you cross the line first, NASCAR throws the penalty, parks you, and then you like throw it into the review protocol and hope that someone will be like, okay, well, what are the other options for him there? You know, when he gets forced off, because would NASCAR prefer you get right back on the track where there's three wide and all gunning for positions? That would have caused another 15 car pileup. You don't want to. You don't want to have another one of those. And so, um, I think if Briscoe had messed up anyway and just made a mistake, I think that they would have raced for the win, regardless, yeah. even if they were under penalty. Yeah, and just wanted to quickly mention here with Briscoe not winning, with AJ Allmendinger winning, who can't be in the playoffs. Denny Hamlin sadly locks himself into the playoffs. Currently, it's 22 points behind Kyle Larson and the point, driver point leads. But uh, sadly, he made the, I was really hoping he didn't make the playoffs because that would have been funny. Even and, though, and, and, it, and it would have shed, uh, shed some light on how bad the NASCAR playoff system is. Yeah. I, I was – I mean, it would st- – as much as I, I – I wouldn't say I hate Hamlin. I just don't really like him. <laughs> like, I, I – I don't care if he wins. I'm not upset if he wins, but I'm also not excited. You know, he's just, he's just one of those like blah drivers in the field. Except he's not. He, he's got more character than most of them. But yes, I see what you're saying. But like, it would it would be it would be messed up if he had missed the playoffs. So in that sense, I, I do like it. Now I hope that he goes winless and manages to win the championship because that would just be. That would be even better, I think, to have a winless cup champion when they're pushing the wins. I mean, it's already happened um, in Xfinity and in trucks. So 
all they need now is for it to happen in the cup. But let's talk about the other two crashes um, and the whole chaos. Actually, let's move to Connor reacts because that's what we're talking about in Connor reacts, all the curb drama. So you want to go into that, Connor? Yes, we were going to talk to, about the wrecks, but all the wrecks happened in the same spot, which I'm going to talk about in Connor reacts. So let's move over to Connor reacts. Yes. Before you guys come at me, I do not hate, hate Michael McDowell. I'm happy that he won. I just didn't think that he would win a race. Yes, he's talented, but I didn't think his team and the car that he has would win a race. And let me just say, Ethan's probably going to be upset. He was really lucky to have that win. It's great to see Bowman get back to victory lane, and I'm just so happy. I've watched so many YouTube videos of that final restart, which I thought was excellent. I thought that restart was one of the best restarts I've ever seen Bowman have. So, um, there's this uh, guy that I don't even know his name, but he's some nobody that shouldn't even be in the sport to begin with. Just decides that he's gonna he's gonna ride the middle lane when he needs to be like in the grass out of the way for Gregson to pass so he can go win. But he decides that he's gonna go up and block Gregson. He runs into him because he can't even get minimum speed. He like, goes like 20 miles per hour because he's some no name that like, shouldn't be in the sport and his team sucks or whatever. It's going to be one of the worst segments we've ever recorded. You know, I cannot tell you how much I've missed that, Connor. I don't know yeah, about you. I'm still, still not a big fan of that uh, that, uh, that uh, intro, but uh, I, I guess it's supposed to be there as you enjoy it. I guess a lot of the listeners enjoy it. But besides yes. the point, we have, we have, this kind of reacts is going to be featured around Turn six curbing that has pretty much gone viral the past, uh, for the Xfinity series and the Cup series. So let's start with the Xfinity series. So you would come out six and you would there would be like a curb and then it was the you know the racing surface, the curb and then cement and the grass. And which you would think the grass would be the limit for going off the track. So but NASCAR decided they would put a little curb between the the racing uh, the racing surface. So it'd be a curb like a normal curb. And then the cement and grass. They decided they were going to put another curb, a, like a big turtle, in a between ramp, the curb. Not a curb, ramp. Ramp in between the the normal curb and the grass. So not the Xfinity Series was racing on Saturday, and I believe it was the first. Yeah, it was the first lap or first or second lap. And the drivers thought, all right, they've never gone in there side by side. They did that practice, but they were going in their single file. So first time going in there double wide but all right the guy on the outside of me has until has room to the grass so the guys on the inside pushed them out to the grass to try to get as much speed and momentum they could get through there and they took them they took the this connor's going up his stairs right now he's, he's trying to get out of get away from something um yes, they, they, they took it took they took all the room and push them all the way up to the grass to get as much speed and room as possible, not knowing the curve was there. And I mean, it turned into launch city. It was. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. But they took, I mean, I don't know how many cars it was, but it was a good handful of cars hit that flew up, killed your splitter. And there he was half the field's gone pretty much. 
what it felt like. So they ended up taking that curb out for Sunday's well, Cup Series race. Yeah, what uh, happened? What happened was it got damaged from something, from all the cars going over or something. And people are wanting to crucify NASCAR on this, but I don't think they could have done anything. They didn't have the time. They were trying to fix that thing, and it looked all good and, and fixed. And the lap before, there had been no real problems. And then uh, everything broke loose uh, on the next lap, and, and there were some hard hits there. Yeah, and I don't think it's really anybody's fault. It's not really NASCAR's because they put it there thinking the drivers should probably be able to get through it without hitting it. But you had the drivers not going in their double wide, so they didn't know it was there. Um, they got pushed up, they got on the outside, and they just flew into space. So, Connor, was... I, I think you're confusing two different curves. There was the, the ramp curve that was supposed to discourage drivers from cutting the corner. And then there was the, the curb that caused all the problems and that they had to remove was the just the normal like rumble strips. Yeah, that they yeah used. I know. I know the one on the out one coming out of six. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Well, they weren't really launching. They were just like getting dug into the track and, and shot all over the place. Well, when they came up when they come off of it, they Oh yeah. The tires were off and then they would dig in and spin around and hit each other, but um, they ended up taking that out, which was probably a smart decision, whether that being damaged or not. But um, and then you had the the curve coming into six um, had trouble in the Cup Series, and it was worked fine. The perfect uh, half, like three fourths of the race, was perfectly fine. And I think it just it just wore out. It ended up um, it, the curbing came apart. You had William Byron go over it, and whether that the first time it being the curb being killed or it, I think it would have looked like it was William Byron went over it, his splitter dug in and he hit either like a full uh, fuel line or something. And it spilled oil all over the track. And he had, I don't know how many cars it was. You had William Byron go all over the place. I believe he had Kyle Busch. You had Joey Logano hit the tire barrier hard, got kind of wedged in there. You had Ryan Priest spinning through there. You had Kevin Harvick spinning through there. It was, I mean, cars just couldn't, as soon as that oil, that, whatever it hit, the fuel line oil, whatever it was, got put onto the racetrack. It just ended up being a death trap, death trap for all those cars going by. And once you're committed, you're committed and you cannot stop. So some of those cars didn't have terrible damage and just kind of spun and were able to keep going. Others like Logano, not so fortunate. The car was totaled, but um, they picked up all the oil, fixed it all up and they took, um, took like a good half hour fixing the racing surface and then they did it again and the first lap there was they were coming it was like five laps to go i believe and they went over the first lap and there was like some type of debris sheet metal that came flying off and it, but it looked like it was from a car or something but it was from the curb and that and then the next time they came by the curb he just gave out um i don't know who it at first but i wasn't bubble walls no, 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 Connor, Connor, you're mixing the two up. Um, no, the they, did, they take, they, did they take the curb out after the first wreck? Yeah, they did. And then they didn't and have then, the curb there, and they didn't realize, and Michael McDowell hit the turtle that was on the inner part of the curb. Yeah, they were – well, drivers were going through there all day just inches from that big curb um, using the small curb, the, the rumble strip that caused the, the first wreck. 
that got damaged and they had to take out. They were using that as a point of reference mostly to avoid hitting the big curve. So with it gone, I think it was just McDowell misjudged it. He was side by side with Bowman. I don't think Bowman hit him into the curve. I think they were just racing hard for position and McDowell was trying to just gain a little bit of an extra edge. They went too far. He couldn't see it. And he goes flying, spins out, collects uh, both RCR cars in that crash. Um, and, and it was another big crash. Uh, Austin Dillon had a really hard hit into the wall, I think. Yeah, he was a little slow getting out of the car, but uh, was okay. But yeah, Bubba Wallace, before pointing that turn, just bailed on it. Bubba just went way inside through the grass, just bailed on the curb. He did not want to go through there, which I guess was a smart decision after all. Just five seconds later, another four cars are done. So um, that turn six killed a lot of cars and uh, took a lot of money away from those teams. <laughs> I mean, they totaled about that turn and those couple turtles and Kirby and a rumble strips probably killed about 15 cup cars and another 10 Xfinity cars, something like that. It was something crazy. Um, I never seen that a one turn in a racetrack take out so many cars on one weekend. I, I, I didn't watch the, the Indy car was there too. So I didn't watch, didn't watch that race, but uh, I, I, I don't think there was any wrecks in that same turn, but um, uh, it, it was, it, I, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, and, and so it was definitely chaotic. It was crazy and definitely fueled to the overall just craziness of the race. Um, Corey LaJoy also ramped off that big bump, and he got all four wheels off the ground, which is pretty fun to see, and he recovered to finish, I think, 17th. So uh, 16th. A um, couple of things I noticed looking through the, through the finishing order, just to tell you how crazy it is, and – you always know when a race was crazy if you have Starcom and Rick Ware in the top 25. So uh, Quinn Half finishes 22nd on the lead lap. I mean, that's his best run of the year. So hats off to Quinn Half. And even better for Rick Ware Racing, Josh Balicki finishes 18th, just one spot behind Alex Bowman. How does it feel, Connor, to have Alex Bowman almost lose to Josh Balicki? Well, he didn't, and Josh Blakey beat some bigger names and uh, what was it, Denny Hamlin, William Byron, Joey Logano. So I don't uh, – it wasn't it wasn't crazy. Yes. Uh, no, Josh Blakey is cool. We, we got to meet him at Pocono, Connor. I think he was the guy who we ran into like three times and we didn't know who he was. By, yeah, we, the thing is with Pocono, we would run into people and we would look at him like, are they a driver? Are they not? And we didn't want to say anything if they didn't. We didn't want to go up saying, hey, are you a driver? And them not being a driver, so. And that backfired because we let Jeff, not Jeff, Jeb Burton walk right past us. Like yeah, full, then, full incognito then, mode. Yeah, and some of, some of the, those Xfinity drivers were walking straight through where everybody was. And people just kind of looked at them like, are they a driver? Are they not? And I'm like, Harrison Burton walked right past me. I'm like, Ethan. That's Harrison Burton. I know That's that. Harrison. I know that for sure. We did get we did get to talk to Harrison a little bit, but not Jeff. Yeah. We missed Jeff, and he walked like literally right past us. It, it was pretty funny. I mean, um, we, were, we were standing there. He walked like he probably hit my shoulder. We he was <laughs> so close. Yeah. So uh, Connor, overall, whose fault was it? Was it just 
nobody's fault, just an equipment failure. What are your thoughts on this? I think whoever made those rumble ships, rumble strips, turtles just needs to do a little better job. I, I, I mean, all the other turns were fine. Like all the other rumble strips they kept hitting were fine. I don't, I don't know why this one, this one rumble strip caused all these, all this damage. So I think that's just an equipment failure, not NASCAR, not the drivers, not the team's faults. Just whoever made them maybe needs to do a little bit better because I, I, I just can't believe that the one, one gives out. If they were all made the same way, they w- it would probably be all of them were blowing out. Yeah, well, I'm a little disappointed, Connor, that you don't have a stronger opinion on this. I was kind of hoping you'd be on the, like, NASCAR sucks train that they need to fix this and they're well, all it's, their it's fault. Not- and we'd get a big old rant, and instead we just had a normal discussion. But that's all right. That's all right. Um, one more bit of news before we move on here, and – there is not nobody other than Bob Pockers has talked about this yet, but there are rumors starting to float around that 2311 is in talks to buy charters or the entirety of front row motorsports. You don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. Exactly <laughs> for you, Ethan. You don't want to see it. You know. It, in some ways, it makes a ton of sense for, for Bob Jenkins, owner of that team, because he's gonna he's probably made the most money he's ever had in a season with how well McDowell's run, his, his Daytona 500 win, that, that purse money is huge. That's a couple million dollars to the team winning the Daytona 500. And he's going to have a playoff driver, too, because McDowell and Almirola are both locked in uh, following this weekend's race. So, you know... From a monetary standpoint, it makes a ton of sense for Jenkins because of how much the the charters are worth, how much his team is making him right now. And he could really go out on top with a playoff driver who who knows what can happen. Although I think he'll probably get eliminated in round one. But it will be very interesting to see. I think if anything were to happen here, though, the most likely occurrence would be them selling one of their charters, keeping the 34 in operation with McDowell, focus on that team for next gen. And just go ahead, put that charter money you make from selling that ten million dollars you make from selling it into into the thirty four team, which I would love to see. Yeah, I think that's you probably want to sell it, but I think that would make the most sense. But only sell one because they're not doing anything with Anthony Alfredo. They're not doing a single thing. So, um, the car's just really sitting there. So, put all the money you have into the thirty four car. Go see if you can make the playoffs again and maybe even be like a little sneaky sneaky team that can uh sneak their way into maybe even a top top uh round of 12 berth if they just put all the chips in on mcdowell here's the crazy thing i think if mcdowell makes it to the round of 12 there's like a 50 percent chance he can make it through you know with talladega and the roval those are tracks he's good at that wouldn't that be crazy if he makes the round of eight i I don't know. We'd have we'd have to have a celebration podcast. Um, but yeah, so with that being said, that concludes our very long first segment recapping the chaos at the Brickyard. Final thoughts on this, Connor. Was this better than a race on the Oval? Would you like to see them back on the Oval? No. I think this totally takes the Oval, and I would love to see them come here for years to come. I think it was one of the better road courses we've seen this year and um, got crazy at the end because people just wanted we're trying to get all they could. So 
I, I know the oval is historic, but I think the better racing happens on the road course. And um, I really think they should stay on the road course. They said on the broadcast that it was the short track of the road courses. And I could not agree more with how, how, how it raced before the chaos and after the chaos. And so I think the spot it is on the schedule is great too, with drivers desperate for a win to get into the playoffs. I think I agree with you. Although I would love to see them try a double header here at some point, one on the oval, one on the road course. That's a discussion for another time. So coming up next, we are super excited for this. Granted, we haven't recorded the interview yet, so there's a slight chance it might falter, but I think it's going to happen. We've got it all lined up. Alan Bestwick, former NASCAR and IndyCar commentator for ESPN, one of the goats in the broadcasting business, much better than Rick Allen, I must say, is coming on the show for an interview that's coming up next on the Quick Pit Podcast. Connor might not be there, but we shall see. That's coming up next on the Quick Pit Podcast. Welcome back to the Quick Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, joined by Connor here. This is not the interview, not quite yet. We've got that coming just in a few minutes, but we have a couple of things we forgot to do the other day when we recorded the rest of the show. So we're going to slip this in here between segment one and the interview with Alan Beswick. So uh, first of all, Connor, we had a giveaway. We keep forgetting to announce the winner of the giveaway. So Without further ado, who won our giveaway, the winner of the Chase Briscoe Hero card and two autographed driver cards as well? The winner is, drumroll please, Justin. His at is jhnascarfan1. Um, we got in contact with him, and we will be sending that, sending those uh, the Chase Briscoe Hero card and the Martin Truex Jr. autographed baseball size card and the two stickers within the next week, hopefully, so... Um, congrats to him. Make sure you guys still follow us on Twitter because we will have a probably will have another giveaway around sometime in the playoffs. So make sure you're following us for the next giveaway we do, which is not gonna be too far away. Yes. And also, uh, we talked we've talked about doing this for a while. So um we're gonna give a code word here. And if you DM Connor with the code word before um next podcast release, so if, if you get it in before next Thursday at 4, uh, 4 Eastern, um, we'll give you a shout-out on the show. So, um, yeah, Connor, what is our word this week? What is our code word for this week? This week's episode? code word is going to be tire. So just tires are, with an S. Tires. All right, we're going to make it tires with an S. So make sure you go over to us on Twitter. Hit, our DMs are open, and just DM me, and we'll give you a shout-out. Um this we'll have this every week. It will be a different word every week and it will be at a random point in the show. So make sure you listen to the whole web. It's not always going to be in the same spot. So you have to listen to the whole entire thing to figure it out. Yes. And finally, before we get over to the interview, Connor, we put out a Twitter question asking for some of your responses, some responses. So uh, the question this week was, what was your favorite moment from this season so far of course we talked about it Zess and I on the show last week but um, we've got a couple more um, and we'll give a shout out of course and then your answer so Connor what was one of the responses 
So the first response is from AJ flying like an eagle. Um, his ad is rowdy. AJ 54 says he said his favorite moment of this, this season is he loved the finish to the Bush clash. Two of the modern NASCAR's best at road courses wrecking each other on the wrecking each other for the win and opening the door for Kyle Busch to start off 2020 right with a win. And of course, Kyle Busch fan, so maybe a little bias here, but um, I do think that was a pretty cool moment. Well, yeah, my favorite moment of the year was when McDowell won the 500, and I'd be willing to guess that your favorite moment was Larson blowing a tire at Pocono, Connor, correct? Yeah, I guess you, yeah, you nailed that one right. Uh, let's see here. We've got... Um, Johnny on the track podcast, um, Johnny on the track is all smushed together and then podcasted separately. Don't have his at, but his favorite moment so far this year was Al Marola winning at New Hampshire. I gotta say that's, that's definitely high up because that came out of nowhere. It was a crazy good race and a crazy good winner. He gets his first career win on a non-super speedway, locks himself into the playoffs, even though he's like 25th in points. So uh, I would have to agree with him. That is a very good moment so far this year. I didn't like it because it's not one of the RCR covers out. That's true. But still, I like Almeral. Yes, and then we just had one um, from Rockingham. Uh, he's been a been a follower of the podcast, been a fan of the podcast since really the beginning. So shout out to him. His ad's Rockingham, 18 underscore. And he says his favorite moment has to be this past weekend's race at the Indy Road Course. He says, no doubt. Yes, and I and think I, I think this was the best race of the season, and I totally agree with him. Uh, just the first half of the race went smooth, the first three fourths of the race, and then everybody was trying to win, and it ended up being a wreck fest, pretty much. Yes. All right. So, with that being said, unfortunately, schedules did not line up, so Connor will not be able to participate in the interview. But of course. I still will, and, and it's a real shame. I wish you could be on for it, Connor, but um, I'll make sure to do to do a good job. Um, so with that being said, we will move on to the interview with Alan Bestwick. That's right. That's coming up next on the Quick Pit Podcast. Here they come. Turn four. Final lap of the Pepsi 400. Michael Walter been second, but it's going to be Dale. Junior using lessons learned from his father to go from sixth to first and score the victory in the Pepsi 400. That's, uh, that's unbelievable. You'll never be introduced the same way again. From now on, it'll be Will Power, Indianapolis 500 winner for 2018. Kicker five. the first one in 1994 20 years later he wins the 21st checkered flag in the brickyard 400 to jeff gordon Go 400! he's gonna do it he's gonna win the race and the nascar sprint cup championship california's kevin hardwick does it Welcome back to the Quick Tip Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, and this week we have a very special guest. We are joined by former NASCAR and IndyCar commentator, Alan Bestwick. He's on the show today. How are you doing, Alan? 
And uh, yeah. Hi, Ethan. I'm doing great. I'm sweating a little bit because I'm down here in South Florida and it's about a thousand degrees outside, but, uh, but I'm doing great. Thanks. Good to talk to you. You too. So we'll get right into it. This past weekend, you were at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and uh, there was the IndyCar and NASCAR triple header. What was it like calling all three races? Is there a difference between calling an IndyCar race versus a NASCAR race? And then what are your thoughts on the chaotic finish to Sunday's race? Um, what was it like calling the whole thing? Well, uh, my partner, Jamie Little said it best at the end of Saturday when we put our headsets down on the desk and she said, man, that's a lot of talking. Um, cause it, uh, it was a lot of racing and, and, um, and a lot of fun having both series in the same place on the same weekend was really cool. Um, I've moved between both over a number of years. So I know a lot of people on both sides of that fence and it was really fun. You know, Years ago, there was this attitude that if you're a, a NASCAR fan, it wasn't okay for you to like IndyCar. And if you were an IndyCar fan, it wasn't okay for you to like NASCAR. I mean, literally, they used to call the stock cars taxi cabs. And, um, you know, I've never agreed with that. I think if you're a race fan, you're a race fan. Uh, the racers themselves certainly are. So for them all to be in the same place and go back and forth and check out each other's cars and that kind of thing, uh, you know, like for a lot of the NASCAR guys, Saturday was the first IndyCar race they had ever seen in person. And it was fun. So for me, it was a great a gathering of a lot of people that I know in, in the same place, uh, a very special place. Um, other part of your question, what was the chaotic finish of Sunday like? Long? Unfortunate? Uh um, I, I don't know what anybody could have done differently to prevent it. Um, other than, um, you know, drive between the curbs instead of over them, but that's not how racers think, you know? Yeah. So it's just one of those things that happened. You went, Oh, okay. There's going to be some meetings about that. And they'll figure it out before the next time. It was just unfortunate. When, when something like that is happening, where they just keep, stuff just keeps happening and crashes just keep occurring. Do you, is it hard to keep up like your, your uh, tempo, I guess, when you're calling the race instead of just like, cause when we're all at home, we're like, oh no, not again. I like, yeah, I can't yeah. believe it happened again. Is it hard to, to not be like that? Um, th there's two things you have to do. First, you have to be honest. I mean, it is what it is, right? Um, but second of all, that's kind of your job. Your job is to, to, to continue to bring energy and continue to bring the same level of effort at what you're doing. Um, you know, it's like, it's like a racer when he's in 25th place. He's still supposed to drive as hard as he can and get the most as he or she can out of that car that day at that track. So it, it wasn't ideal, certainly, but, but the job is keep doing the job. Yeah. So you keep your energy up and, and, you know, they were still going to wave a green flag and a checkered flag at the end of that race. That's still the exciting part of the day. So you, it wasn't too hard for me. That, that's good. So we'll go all the way back. We just talked about your most recent career or occupation, I guess. Um, but how did you start your career in broadcasting? Did it grow from a journalism career? Did you go to college to get there? Like, how did you get into the racing, 
the racing and broadcasting world. Yeah, uh, Ethan, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be the guy on the radio or the television. As long as I can remember. And I was very fortunate to grow up in an area that had a lot of great radio and a lot of great television. Um, where I lived in Rhode Island, uh, the Providence radio market was super. A lot of really, really phenomenal broadcasters to listen to and learn from. And I could pull in very easily the stations from Boston or New York um, and, and absorb a lot of that. I was very lucky that I, I went to a public high school that had a teacher who um, had a background in radio. Um, in fact, he, uh, he, he was a, a public school teacher Monday through Friday, but on Saturday nights, he had a radio show on a, on a local radio station. And he formed a radio club to teach, give people the opportunity to learn the craft, um, which we turned into an actual FM radio station. Uh, so I was able to, when I was a, a sophomore, junior in high school, start being a disc jockey, as they were known then, um, broadcast high school football and basketball and baseball games all at high school, which then led to a part-time job at a local AM radio station, which led to a job at a bigger station at a bigger, you know, and, and on down it goes to, to eventually. I never went to college. I started out in high school. The world is different today. You probably couldn't take the same path that I took, but you also don't have to wait for a radio station or a TV station. These days, you can do your own content like you're doing now with yeah. equipment sitting on your desk at home. Yeah. Everybody can have a studio. So the world is different, but that's how I started. Yeah. So I personally, and I can kind of speak for my co-host who's not here right now, but I'm planning on going into sports the sports journalism career area. And so I'm kind of doing the same thing, setting myself up through clubs and the school newspaper and such. So that, that's really interesting to hear. Um, do you have any advice for people like me or someone else listening who wants to get into that field? Always. Um, and it gets a little lengthy, but it's all important. Uh, first of all, study the craft. When you're watching, where, where you live, Ethan? Uh, uh, Southern Den Pennsylvania. Southern Pennsylvania. Okay. You're watching a Penn State football game on TV. Pay attention to what they're doing. When are they talking? When are they not talking? What are they saying? How are they saying it? Um, what kind of interaction do they have between them? This can be listening on the radio. It can be watching on television. Um, pay attention. You absorb things. Don't be afraid to ask questions, build your network. Don't be afraid to email people, social media, like you reached out to me on. Um, it's a great way to connect to people and learn the craft. Take every opportunity you can to meet people. Network, 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 network. It's everything in the business. Um, don't be afraid of school. I did not, I did not go to college, um, but that was a long time ago. And the business was different. You can learn the craft and make a lot of great connections to help you in your future in the business. If you go to a good school with, um, uh, I'll call it a broadcasting heritage or journalism heritage uh, uh, behind it. And then the last part of it is, I don't care how old you are. You're never too old to learn. Every show I do, 
I go back and watch or listen. And I do it with a big yellow pad in my hand. And I'm a nasty critic of me. Not to the point that I depress myself, but what'd you say that for? Or, you know, think of something different to do there, or that was good, or, you know, be your own critic and work at your craft. And the only one that's really going to help you get better is you and the people you meet who are willing to mentor you. That, that's all really good advice. And, and thanks a lot for that. Um, we'll move on to some of the more recent stuff you've done. This summer, you called all of the SRX races. And mm-hmm. that, that whole series was phenomenal. The broadcasting was crazy, was really good. The, the racing on track was really good. Um, how did you do that? How did we get picked to do that? And kind of what were your thoughts on the season? Um, Ray Everham one of the founders of SRX has been a friend of mine since the eighties. Um, a closer friend in, in, in recent decades, but back then we lived in the same area. Uh, we were introduced our paths, our career paths did this the whole way through. And, um, eventually we worked together at, at ESPN after I covered him for many years as a, as a broadcaster, we became very good friends. And a couple of years ago, Ray approached me and said, I'm rebooting, the old IROC series made for television. This is what do you think? I said, I, I love the sound of it. He said, good. I want you to do it. Now that was one of the owners and not the television network involved saying that. Um, but I was, uh, I was given the opportunity to do it. It was everything Ray said it would be. And CBS assembled a phenomenal group of broadcast professionals to work on that. A lot of them had never worked on an auto racing telecast before, but these were people that had just done the masters, the NCAA tournament, you know, they do the NFL every week and they came together and they formed this, this really great broadcast team that bought into the concept, worked hard at it. And, um, you know, we just made it our mission to have fun. The whole thing was supposed to be about having fun for the drivers, for the fans. And I have this thing that I believe very deeply in, which is you can't have fun watching if I'm not having fun doing. I got to have fun making TV for you to have fun watching TV. Um, and for the most part, I, I succeeded having fun. Uh, and it's not an act. So this was really easy to have a ton of fun with, which I think translated home to everybody that watched it uh, and made it a lot, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of fun for them to consume. One thing, one question I do have is, so a lot of the tracks, all the tracks that the SRX went to, aside from maybe Eldora, are, are very um, small, short tracks. What was like the the booth like? Like, what were the accommodations, given that I'm, I'm sure you're used to going to the best racing facilities in the world, and then you're going to a small, short track? What was that? You know, all of these, all these tracks are, uh, were historic, legendary, um, I feel safe in saying that from all of them, SRX was not the first race to be televised from those tracks. So it was not something they were ill-prepared for. We had great space to work from every place. And if they didn't have it dedicated for that, uh, they had space, they dedicated to it, if that makes sense. So um, it was really terrific. A great selection of racetracks. They were all fun. I'd been to all of them, but one prior to this summer. And um, 
and loved it. It was uh, it was the perfect mix and the perfect selection of tracks. My personal favorite was Slinger. What was your favorite track that you went to? Um, all of them. They they were all great in their way, but Slinger was was really terrific. That was the one I had never been to. I was really excited to go to. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad had a race car on a similarly sized track in Massachusetts, a little quarter mile. And so I just thought, uh, given the, the the profile of the Slinger track, I knew that, you know, Wisconsin's got great race fans. I knew they'd turn out uh, in large numbers. They did. And I knew the racing would be great. It was, it was no disappointment. It was, it was everything that we hoped it would be. And maybe even a little more. I think aside from the dirt tracks, which NASCAR has already tried in the recent years, do you think any of the other asphalt tracks, do you think any of them could be, they could make it work, even if it was deviating from what they normally do and kind of go for the SRX model of made for TV. Do you think they could make an exhibition at least work at one of them for a cup race? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they could, but there's, you know, there's a, a lot of logistics. There's a footprint involved in doing something like that. Um, that is difficult. You know, SRX was a, occupied a big footprint at all of these places. We might have been a good test run for something like that. Um, because to bring a, a, a big national television production to a place um, you know, I, I Stafford is Stafford Speedway in Connecticut is one of the places I, I went to as a teenager and, and a young adult, you know, many, 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 many times. Um, so that was kind of a home track for me. And I was fascinated to talk with the track operator whose family I've known for a long time um, about the challenge of putting on the SRX show. Uh, the just the challenge of bringing the CBS national television production to their property and staging it. Uh, it was a big one. So could it be done? Absolutely. Uh, sure, it could be. Um, you know, it just it takes it, it takes a lot of work. And, you know, uh, what's the payoff? Yeah, you know, can if if you try to bring a cup race, let, let's just say, you try to bring a cup race, even an exhibition, to a place like Stafford. Well, cup is used to racing for a lot of money. How would the promoter ever sell enough tickets to try and break even? It's true. You know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to that onion that's that's not worth getting into. But it would it would be a big challenge for sure. Yeah. Um, as a broadcaster, you've seen a ton of great racing moments. What are some of your favorite races, finishes, moments to have called in your career? Oh, boy. You know, Ethan, I get asked that a lot. And one of my flaws as a human being is I'm a very forward-looking person. I, I never seem to dwell as much on the past as maybe I should because I'm always looking at what's next. So when you stop and you think that I went to work for MRN in 1986 and I worked in NASCAR racing full-time professionally up until the end of 2014, um, that's a lot of races. <laughs> and, and so, you know, the old brain doesn't necessarily pluck out um, the details of a lot of these races as easily as it should. I'll say this. 
I could make a list hundreds long of greatest, greatest races and greatest racers. Um, and yet most of what sticks in my memory are people stories. Uh, it could be things that happen on the track. It could be things that happen away from the racetrack. It could be, you know, an airplane trip, but people stories are the things that stick with me the most. And, um, you know, I mean, races, the, the Homestead championship races stand out. They were all great. I love the racetrack, the cha the championship being decided there. And that way it was always a, a, a highlight of the year. Daytona 500s. Yeah. Brickyard 400s. Yeah. Darlington was always a place that I loved to go to because how difficult it is. So I could make a list a mile long and, um, and not even come close to adequately answering that question. I know my personal favorite call of yours, and I was a huge Jeff Gordon fan when I was younger, was when he won his fifth Brickyard. I, that one always sticks out for me when I see you broadcasting something or think of you. That's the race that I remember that call of that finish. That was, I was freaking out when I was a little kid when that happened. <laughs> Indianapolis is a very special place. Yes, it uh, is. It's not a place I ever dreamed I would get to broadcast from. Um, first, because it's Indianapolis. I mean, it was the Indy 500. Uh, then when I was working in NASCAR and the Brickyard 400 came to be, my network didn't have it. So I never thought I would get the chance to broadcast from Indianapolis. So when NBC took over the Brickyard 400 and I got the chance to, to call the race, it was, um, was enormously special. Um, there's just something about the place that I love. And, and you know, Jeff is and, and was so loved there. Uh, they considered him a local and rightfully so. And for Jeff to win that race at that place before that kind of crowd was magical. Uh, the atmosphere was bananas and that made it so much fun. Yeah. I just got to visit the track this summer and it is certainly a, an amazing place. I, I didn't get to go to a race, but I, I got to tour it and such, which was really, really neat. What you talked about how you, you got started at MRN in 86. Yes, right? sir. Um, mm -hmm. How did you get from there to like, how did, how did you get from there to ESPN in 2014 when, uh, ESPN lost the contract. Like, where did you work? What yeah. networks and such? What was your career progression, I guess? Yeah, um, kind of a long and winding road, but but it, this is what broadcasting is about. So while I was at MRN, got hired to do some different TV shows, uh, did some for ESPN while, uh, while I was doing radio. Then this network called Speed Vision was formed, um, and I was doing a couple of shows a week for them. Then... Turner Broadcasting had like five races a year, asked me to join them, which, which worked well with, within my MRN schedule. Uh, then the really big break was in the late 90s when they added the cup race at Homestead. NBC signed on to televise it. Back then, the rights were each track sold its own television rights. So NBC signed on to televise Homestead. One race a year, one race weekend a year, NBC was going to have in the late 90s. And I was hired to be their play-by-play -play guy. Um, you know, as the radio guy, I was probably, you know, best available candidate uh, that wasn't contractually 
tied up by another network, you know? And by the time we even got to year two at Homestead, NBC had signed, you know, NASCAR had redone all the, the, the way broadcast rights were awarded and they had split the, the year into two packages and NBC won one of the two packages. So I went from being a radio broadcaster doing five or six races a year on television for TBS and one for NBC to NBC having an entire half season of NASCAR and them saying, would you like to come work for us full-time? No brainer. Uh, NBC lost the rights. ESPN picked them up. Uh, ESPN signed me on. That was in what, 2007. And then at the end of 2014, by that time I had started doing the Indy 500 for ABC and ESPN. And they said to me, um, you know, we, we need you to stay to do this. And if you do, we'll, we'll put together a fun schedule of events around it for you and, and, and you'll love. And I said, okay, I'm listening. And I mean, I did have discussions with NBC. They're all great friends of mine. Um, but ESPN came to me with this thing about, okay, we're going to send you to Wimbledon and the U S open, and we're going to have you do college football and basketball and, and, uh, and we'll send you to the British open golf tournament. And you'll do our six Indy car races a year. That sounds like a lot of fun. And, uh, and so we did. Um, and it was great until ESPN lost the rights to the Indy 500, um, which is, you know, I mean, it's the business we sign up for, um, risks, rewards, musical chairs, that kind of thing. But uh, that's kind of the career path. Uh, some of the things that I got to do at ESPN were some of the most fascinating and enjoyable experiences of my career. And so no regrets. Um, none of us knows how all this is going to happen anyway. So, you know, I, I, it's just, uh, it's just how it all unfolded. Yeah. So what other sports you mentioned a couple of them, but what other sports are you, I guess, fluent in, in, in your broadcasting career? What other sports have you gotten to do? Uh, I've gotten to do grand slam tennis, um, college football. I do uh, a lot of college basketball still. Um, they're all great fun. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people that, that I love the variety. And I'm very open-minded about new challenges. It's how you keep your brain fresh, by challenging it all the time. Okay, so um, a week from Friday or so, I'm going to head to New York City to do the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. There's going to be 256 players in the singles draws, men's and women's plus doubles, doubles players, and so on. Learn them all. Go. <laughs> great challenge. Great, great challenge. And I love that challenge. So um, those not, kinds of things, those are fun. And not just learn their names, but learn their backstories, where they're from, yeah. all that yeah. stuff too. Yeah. Uh, know the rules of the game. You know, there are subtleties. Different chair umpires have different subtleties. Um what, what about the draw itself stands out? Who might face who in what round? And how is all that done? And how do the ranking points work? And, you know, I mean, Dominic Team, who was last year's U.S. Open men's champion, just withdrew from this year's tournament, like, within the hour. Okay, you know, so it's constantly evolving, and you're always on paying attention. I don't know anything about tennis, but now I'm going to have to check it out. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great challenge. And, um, you know, these players come from all over the world. Okay, the Eastern European pronunciation of a name is probably a lot different than how we Americans might pronounce it looking at it. Which one are you gonna go? Which one are you gonna go with? 
you know, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. And I really enjoy the challenge. That that's, that's really neat. And I didn't really know that about you, that you weren't just exclusively racing, but uh, yeah, that's really, that's really cool to hear. Uh, what's one race you wish you could have gotten to call, but didn't like, whether it be like a Daytona 500 or, or something like that. About the only thing I can think of would be something like the Le Mans 24 hours or a formula one race. And even with those, just to go there, I've never had the chance to go to either, either. I've never been to a formula one race. Would love to, uh, just haven't had the chance. So, um, something like that, but where broadcasting is concerned, I've been very lucky. I've gotten to do just about everything in the business from the Indy 500 to the Daytona 500 to, uh, the Rolex 24, to, I mean, I've gotten to do just about everything. And, um, and that's been really cool. Yeah. ESPN has been gaining a lot of traction with Formula One this year. I've seen that they've been, they've kept breaking their records for viewership and ratings and such. If they were to, I, I, I think they like simulcast the European stream or something like that when they broadcast it. If they were to think it was viable enough to, put their own team together and go broadcast it themselves. Would you consider if they called you up, would you consider taking that job? Oh, sure. But I wouldn't look for that to happen. Uh, yeah. ESPN has a partnership with sky sports and sky sports does is a, is a network out of the UK, out of London. And they do a phenomenal job with formula one coverage. Um, if I'm ESPN, I wouldn't put my own team together. I'd keep using Sky Sports, you know? Great. Yeah, great. Are... Embedded in the sport. And, uh, and you know, I, I keep using them too. Yeah, they, they are really good. But it would be cool to see you get to do something like that. Um, would you like to, to keep calling racing? If you got an opportunity to call more NASCAR IndyCar races in the future, say – Rick Allen or Mike Joy retire or something like that. And there's an opening. Would you take it? Uh, the best way I could answer that is you never say never. Uh, those guys are friends of mine. Uh, they do a great job. Uh, I don't see anything like that happening anytime soon. And um, nor would I wish for anything like that for them. Yeah. You never say, you know, I never planned any of this to start with. So, you know, the fact that I'm not still broadcasting NASCAR on a weekly basis wasn't something where I said, okay, I'm done with NASCAR. What else? It's just how things unfolded. So what, what, you know, what's going to come down the road in two years, in three years, who knows? That's, I mean, I know that you're like a fan favorite right now. Like everyone, I mean, when I was telling some of my friends that you were coming on, they were freaked out so uh it, it is interesting to hear your, your perspective on that um last question actually who's your pick for this weekend's race at, at michigan who who are you watching for this weekend you know that's that's a great question uh because i always have felt like picking races is a fool game i mean it's not like okay is it going to be the home team or the visiting team you got a 50% chance of being right. You got 40 cars and 
you know, 30,000 parts on a race car and, you know, things happen. So I find it to be very challenging to pick races. That said, you almost have to go with Kyle Larson, don't you? I mean, he wins in everything he gets in these days or he's darn close. So Kyle's, um, he's a great talent. He's on a phenomenal role. I don't see any indication that role is going to slow down anytime soon. So why wouldn't you pick Kyle, right? Yeah, and that was his best track with Ganassi before he got into top equipment too. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I think he'll run away with it this weekend if nothing bad happens to him. All right, thank you so much for coming on. It was truly a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and yeah, any final thoughts, I guess? I wish you well uh, on your on your journey and chase the dream because they do come true. Thank you so much for coming on. Alan Bestwick on the Quick Pit Podcast. Coming up next, Connor and I will preview the racing at Michigan International Speedway. That's coming up next on the Quick Pit Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Quick Pit Podcast. We made it to the third and final segment of this week's show. Thank you so much to Alan Bestwick for coming on this great interview. Um, And so we will get into our preview for Michigan, the 25th race of the regular season, the penultimate race of the regular season. And I can smell the desperation from here for drivers like Tyler Reddick, Ross Chastain, Austin Dillon, Chris Buescher, guys like that who need a win to get in. And so we will break it all down, preview and predict the racing at Michigan this week. Connor, what are the track facts? Yes, Michigan is kind of like a super speedway, but kind of not. It's uh, going to be 400 miles, 200 laps this Sunday, 3 o'clock on NBCSN. It, it's it's going to be kind of a fun race with the desperation. As you said, it's two miles long. Uh, cautions people will be 65 and it's under super speedway so i think i think it, we can clarify it's a super speedway uh no i do not because it's not a restrictor plate track it is a boring track it is one of the 550 high downforce tracks they used to go like 212 miles per hour into turn one. Now they're averaging 190 miles per hour. Since the induction of the high horsepower, low downforce package, they have ran an, an average speed of 10 miles per hour slower than they used to, which is just so depressing. I, I, I really don't like it. But since the repaved Michigan has been awful, they just announced this morning, for recording Tuesday night, uh, or Monday night, sorry, that they will be doing the same procedure on Michigan that they did to the Nashville Super Speedway with the resin and tire dragging it. So that might fix it. I don't think it will, but you never know how, how it goes. So uh, yeah. we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Mich- I do not have high hopes for this one. <laughs> if I had top three most boring track, Michigan's on the top three. I just do not like Michigan. It's boring to me. Um, I agree with you. I don't think it's a super speedway, but if NASCAR says it's a super speedway, I kind of have to go with it. If it's a super speedway, put restrictor plates on their cars. I know, exactly, but uh, NASCAR will never do that. So, trying just, to do it with Atlanta. Yeah, just a kind of a boring race. It's going to be your regulars that are going to be up there at the front. There's uh, an idea. Penske seems to always rule this place. I don't know why. 
increase the banking. That's 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 a good one. You could do that. I mean, I mean, anything might help. Anything like it is just bad. No, try something because what they're doing now is not working. Um, Penske actually, their last win was in 2019. Race one was Joey Logano. Um, Kevin Harvick has a ton of wins here. He's got. As I scroll back through the list, he's got five career wins here, including the last three. He swept it last year and also won the second race at Michigan in 2019. Joey Logano has a couple wins. Um, Kyle Larson won three straight back 2016 through 2017. Kurt Busch has a win here. Um, wait, Joey Logano actually has three wins. Um, looking back through Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin. Kurt Busch has another one. And uh, that's uh, Ryan Newman one has won here twice as well. So uh, some decent, some decent drivers in the field. Um, but Connor, let's get to some guys to watch out for. Yeah, I'm going to watch out for uh, Kevin Arvick. I know he doesn't have the speed, which not to spoil anything, but he's not my pick this week, even though I had first picked this week. And it's just because he doesn't have the speed, but he will be up there. Definitely, and if anything does happen, I feel like he could be right there in striking distance. I'd also look out for Joey Logano. They got the, just every single veteran in the sport, every single driver on the bigger teams like Penske, Frost Racing, even though they've been struggling this year, Joe Gibbs and Hendrick Motorsports. Any of those guys, I feel like have a chance of winning, and it, it's just there will be. It's, there could be like a big one. I uh, wouldn't be necessarily surprised if there was a bigger sized wreck, but. Um, any of the big guys could should probably come through with a win. Yes, and yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a very run-of-the-mill race. I expect Larson to dominate. I wish I had first picked this week because I was going to go with Larson. But uh, it's, it's this is Auto Club before they moved. He moved to Hendrick, were his best tracks because he could rip the high line. And so let's get into our picks. You pick Kyle Larson, Connor, as I already said. I'm going to go with. And I really debated between Ross Chastain and Kevin Harvick, but I think I'm going to go with Ross Chastain. They have been faster than Harvick has the last couple, the last month or so. And uh, Harvick is pretty much locked in and um, Chastain needs a win. He's going to be very aggressive. So if he's up front in a late race restart, I would watch out for that 42 car. Yeah, that was going to be my underdog pick, but, Siri picking another bubble driver playoff uh, driver, and that is Tyler Reddick. And I think this is going to be – could be a very good guess. Uh, Siri has not guessed anything right also this year because she's probably thrown away some good opportunities with uh, some of the picks she's made this year, which have been pretty bad. But uh, Tyler Reddick is her pick, and I wouldn't be surprised because he rips that high line very well and could be a sneaky one there at the end. All right, so with that being said, that will conclude our always short um, preview segment. But uh, once again, 3 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN at the Two Mile Over in Michigan. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Alan Bestwick again for coming on. And Connor, you want to close it out because I stink at these. Yeah, I've been listening to the last two podcasts. I've texted Ethan both times saying I, he needs me back just to do the outros because – He's a little work on those, but he's getting there. But thank you guys for listening. Um, it's been great to be back. Thank you to Alan Bestwigs for coming on. Go check out Sentences, our sponsor. Links are in the description. Follow us on Twitter, and we will see you next week on the Quit Pit Podcast. Thanks for listening. 